Catholic History Trek, a podcast exploring the Catholic past. This is the second in my series of previews of my forthcoming book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History. If you'd like to hear more details about the book and this series, check out the previous episode on Maryland titled The Catholic Plymouth Rock. In this episode, you'll hear excerpts from Chapter 9, Catholicism on the Bourbon Trail, the Church of St. Thomas, Bardstown, Kentucky. Just off the Bluegrass Parkway in north-central Kentucky, less than a mile east of U.S. 31, at the end of St. Thomas Lane, stands a brick church fronted by a square facade featuring statues of Jesus and Mary in niches on either side of the entry door. Close beside is a two-story log cabin with weathered gray siding, which is now a historical museum. The parish boasts of being the cradle of Catholicism in Kentucky, and for good reason. From this modest patch of real estate sprouted Kentucky's first Catholic seminary, the home of Kentucky's first bishop, and the mother house of a new American religious order. To appreciate this region, you need to appreciate what stands at the heart of it, Catholicism. Well, that and whiskey. A few miles from St. Thomas Church is another museum that highlights the other major influence in the region's history and culture, the Bourbon Heritage Center. In the aftermath of independence, American pioneers, many from Maryland and Virginia, quickly availed themselves of western lands that had been successfully claimed by the new nation. They crossed the Great Barrier of the Appalachians in western Maryland by funneling through the Cumberland Gap on the Wilderness Road, a trail blazed by Daniel Boone. For a few years, these settlers remained part of the state of Virginia, but the natural barrier of the mountains made that arrangement impractical, and there was soon clamor for a new state. In 1792, Kentucky became the first state west of the Appalachians. Settlers in the Bardstown area encountered several unusual natural features that became valuable assets for resourceful Kentuckians. White oak trees populating the woods could be made into flavorful casks, which are assisted in their maturation task by the local climate of alternating hot summers and cold winters. The land is undergirded by a shelf of blue limestone, which serves as a filter for groundwater, taking iron out and putting magnesium and calcium in. And the rich soil supports the growing of corn rather than the rye that was favored in Virginia. All of these provided the ingredients for America's native spirit, Kentucky bourbon. Bourbon County was one of the earliest organized jurisdictions in Kentucky. Formed immediately after the Revolution, it was named in honor of King Louis XVI of France, who had so critically provided assistance during the conflict with Britain. The House of Bourbon's rule would come to a violent end a few years later, when French revolutionaries executed the king by guillotine. Across the Atlantic, meanwhile, the county of Bourbon was thriving. Initially, Bourbon County encompassed most of the bluegrass region. As Daniel Boone and other pioneers showed the way, white settlers began streaming into the fertile meadows and forests. The corn-based whiskey took its name from the county in which it was created. Bourbon County became bourbon country, and it remains so to this day. 95% of the world's bourbon is produced in the state of Kentucky. On the western edge of the bluegrass region is the city of Bardstown, seat of Nelson County. Among the early settlers lured into the West by the promise of bountiful and productive land were Catholics, many of them from old Maryland families. Maryland was in every respect, the bishop historian Martin Spaulding wrote, the great alma mater of the Catholics of Kentucky. She supplied them with people from her superabundant population, and she too sent out the first missionaries who broke to them the bread of life. The Marylanders who settled in Nelson County were not the first Catholics in Kentucky, but they would create the institutional infrastructure for the state's Catholic community. In 1787, one of them, Edward Howard, made his home near Bardstown at a place called Poplar Neck. 
Edward's son Thomas inherited the estate and lived there with his family for the rest of his life. Thomas died shortly after the establishment of the diocese, and the region's stalwart missionary, Father Stephen Baden, wrote to Archbishop Carroll to report that his good old friend, Thomas, had bequeathed to Baden a good plantation. By the terms of the will, the Howard estate, attractive nearly 370 acres, was to remain in the possession of the Catholic Church in perpetuity. It was property that would be put to good use. Benedict Flaget had been among the exile priests who shifted their ministries to the New World after the French Revolution. Flaget had worked on the frontier in Indiana and then taught at Georgetown College in Washington, D.C. When Bishop Carroll persuaded Pius VII to lighten his burden by creating four new dioceses in 1808, the Pope selected Flaget to fill the bishop's office in the Diocese of Bardstown. The new diocese not only encompassed all of Kentucky and Tennessee, but also carried with it pastoral responsibility over the territory that is now occupied by the states of Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, Iowa, and Wisconsin. It's not surprising, then, that Flaget was at first overwhelmed by the task set before him. Without money, without a house, without property, almost without acquaintance, he reflected in a later letter, I found myself in the midst of a diocese larger than France, and myself speaking the language, too, very imperfectly. There were by this time perhaps a thousand Catholic families in all of Kentucky. By the time Bishop Flaget arrived in 1811, after lengthy travels to reach his see, Thomas Howard had died, and the church was the beneficiary of his bequest. The Howard farm would be the terrestrial nucleus of the Bardstown Diocese. Soon after Thomas Howard's death, his widow moved into smaller quarters so that the Howard's house could be occupied by Bishop Flaget. Flaget moved from his log cabin a few miles away, a dwelling the local priests with wry humor referred to as the Episcopal Palace, into the Howard's former homestead, a similarly humble log cabin. A new, larger log house was built shortly thereafter. The bishop's residence would double as the diocesan seminary. Six young men moved in, and the place was soon bustling with spiritual and material activities. A priest who studied at St. Thomas Seminary in the 19th century describes the spot. Far enough from town and highway to be beyond the sound of the tramp of the world's parade, it offered an opportunity for study and meditation that a St. Jerome might have envied. The surrounding farms, studded with groves, showed the hand of man without blotting out nature's work, and the general view was of an undulating surface gradually rising to the distant hills. To its own doors came forests of giant beech and stately elm, of waving oak and trembling poplar, and from many ravines almost hidden by thicket of vine and shrub, there flowed out rills of crystal water that went babbling on to feed the greater stream at the foot of the slope. Here and there the earth opened avenues of descent into its very bowels, where hidden wonders of God's creation might be seen and studied. The presence of God could be felt and seen in everything. The birds unconsciously sang his praises. The sighing of the wind through the trees was the murmur of nature's prayer to him. The song of the brooks was the voice he had given them. And the slow movement of the river through its deeps and its dancing over the shallows was the action of the life he had imparted to it. In this pastoral paradise, the clerics lived like the Kentucky backwoodsmen they were, wearing homespun, eating and drinking from tin vessels, subsisting on bacon and cornbread. Father Baden recounted these early days when the poverty of our infant establishments compelled the seminarians to spend their recreations in labor. Each day they devoted three hours to work in the garden, in the fields, or in the woods. Among the students' more remarkable labors was the building of a church, designed by Maximilian Godefroy in the Rococo Gothic style without spire or bell tower. At 35 by 70 feet, the Bardstown Church would be dwarfed by the Gothic BMS built across Catholic America later in the century. But on the Kentucky frontier, where log huts were the norm, it was impressive enough. Completed in 1816, the church was dedicated to the patron saint of the benefactor who donated the land on which it stood. 
The seminarians made the bricks, mixed the mortar, and cut the lumber needed for the project. Then they did the same for a new brick seminary building. Its rooms were small, its chronicler recalled, but it was like a palace in appearance and comforts when compared with the old quarters. The St. Thomas campus was expanding by leaps and bounds. Bishop Flaget and his seminary director, Father Jean-Baptiste David, before their postings to the frontier, had served in Emmitsburg, Maryland. There they had been involved in the formation of the Sisters of Charity by Mother Elizabeth Ann Seton. Knowing that the development of the Bardstown Diocese could not continue without the assistance of consecrated women religious, and knowing at the same time that existing congregations were reluctant to expend their precious personnel on risky frontier endeavors, the two priests conspired to create a new, native Kentucky sisterhood. On December 1, 1812, two young local women, in response to the invitation of Father David, dedicated themselves to the service of God. Less than a month later, a third woman joined. Only 19 years of age, she nonetheless quickly emerged as the leader of the group. Catherine Spaulding was a Maryland native whose ancestors had helped to settle the colony 150 years earlier. The sisters at first occupied quarters in a corner of the bishop's residence next to St. Thomas Church, but they soon moved to a nearby cabin. They named this first mother house Nazareth. Combined with their use of the rule derived from Elizabeth Seton's new congregation in Emmitsburg, it supplied the group's enduring name, Sisters of Charity of Nazareth. The poverty of the sisters' early days is captured in the recorded account of their inaugural elections of officers. They elected no treasurer, for they had no money to keep. Nonetheless, the sisters' numbers and apostolate grew rapidly, and they expended what few financial resources they acquired in building additions to their convent and school. In 1822, they purchased and moved to a nearby property, which they named the New Nazareth. Today, the impressive mother house of the congregation stands on this same land. During the previous year, the inevitable dispossession of the Diocese of Bardstown had begun, as the creation of the Diocese of Cincinnati detached a giant territory from its northern reaches. Eventually, some 30 diocesan sees would be formed out of what had once been the great western diocese. But Catholicism had sunk deep roots in Bardstown, and its branches continued to spread. In the same year as the Sisters of Nazareth were founded, the Sisters of Loretto had their start nearby, and the first Trappist monastery in the United States, Our Lady of Gethsemane, set up on some of the sisters' land in 1848. Nazareth, Loretto, and Gethsemane are some of the place names that gave the area its sobriquet, the Holy Land of Kentucky. As for St. Thomas, its status as the bishop's home was shortly relinquished when St. Joseph Cathedral was built in the city of Bardstown in 1819. The St. Thomas campus continued as home to a seminary and various other educational institutions through the 1860s, but afterward it fell into disrepair and several buildings were destroyed. St. Joseph's subsequently lost its rank when the diocese itself was transferred to the thriving Ohio River port city of Louisville in 1841. Thus, the church on Thomas Howard's farm now lies far from the seat of ecclesiastical power. St. Thomas is a humble country church, but it remains the hub of a parish community. It also retains its status as the cradle of Kentucky Catholicism. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, Sicut Eret in Principio et Nunc et Semper, et in Secula Seculorum. Amen. Thank you for listening to Catholic History Trek. You can reach us at Catholic History Trek at gmail.com.